Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz, a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and now the recently retired David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University. On the opposite side of the Atlantic, I am coming to you live from Münster, Germany. I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. First, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed creating it. Second, we always like to answer this question that people ask me, Mike, why the heck are you and Bela doing a podcast? And it's certainly not to make money. Uh, But Bela and I both like to learn from smart and interesting people about how the world is changing, about how innovation and entrepreneurship are evolving, and overlay our observations and compare them with the lessons we've each learned over three-plus decades as entrepreneurs, investors, managers, and professors. To do this, we've tapped into our network of interesting friends, former students, and business partners, along with some other interesting people we've met more recently, to bring you interesting stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. Yeah. Hey, Mike. So this week, I interviewed uh, Manoush Agrawal. Uh, He is a really interesting fella. Uh, He's uh, started a company called Tetra Noodle. Uh, Technologies, which is based in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, what he basically does is he works with various different startups uh, and startup founders and helps them sort of get their companies launched and uh, help them to introduce their uh, innovative products uh, to the marketplace quickly and efficiently. So it was a great example of uh, someone who's passionate and who's an entrepreneur and uh, decided to help other entrepreneurs uh, grow their businesses uh, and turn that into his own business. So I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, what's one thing that uh, you sort of uh, stuck out at you, Mike? Well, Bela, this is a, a really interesting human being. And I really, you know, again, we've kind of had this theme, I think, sharp-eared and uh, uh, bright-eyed listeners that have been paying attention know that one of our passions is to help entrepreneurs um, create sustainable businesses that make them happy, right? And and this is kind of how we got started doing this, was people would ask us for advice and we'd give them their advice. And, and now what we've kind of stumbled on are these different models of resources and frameworks and tools that are available to people who are thinking about starting their own business. And it's really even surprised myself to see it all kind of laid out for us over the last year. And Manoush had another model, right? Essentially the consulting model um, where he will consult for a shorter, long period of time with um, with startups. Um, you know, again, he did software and hardware, but he focused on the software side, obviously. And I think this is cool. I mean, he had a really interesting family background, um, and and a wide range of experiences that give him some unique perspectives uh, and a teaching orientation. Um, to sounds like he's really great at what he does. So great, I think a great guest with lots of different experience. Yeah, and you know we've had several guests uh, that have sort of done this in various different flavors. Uh, we had uh, Victoria uh, from Startup Station a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, several more episodes prior to that uh, we had. Uh, Kat Coppett, uh, who did, who was the theater performer, who who turned it into a coaching for executives uh, and uh, listening skills. So there's lots of different uh, places where uh, you can be entrepreneurial, right? That's one of the things that always uh, surprises me is all the various different ways 
that people have made little businesses for themselves. Uh, they're doing what they love. Uh, they're making a reasonable living, uh, and they're really enjoying life. And I think this is another good example of that. So uh, with that, should we dive into the interview, Mike? Let's get to it, Bela. Hello, listeners. Bela here. Uh, today's guest is Manut Agarwal. And uh, I said that wrong, didn't I? No, no. It was no? okay. Okay, great. Uh, Manut Agarwal, uh, who is the uh, CEO uh, at uh, Tetra Noodle up in Vancouver, Canada. He has a very interesting entrepreneurial background. So I thought he'd be a great guest for our uh, podcast. Uh, welcome, Manut. Thank you so much. Yeah, very good. So tell me a little bit about uh, Tetra Noodle and what you guys do. Yeah, so we are a consulting company, software consulting company and a training company. So we work with the startup founders, entrepreneurs, uh, people who are interested in launching their own tech startups, especially if uh, they want to bootstrap their company. Uh, we help them out with the execution, product market fit, uh, hiring a team, and in some cases, even funding uh, the venture. And we also train software engineers on cutting-edge technologies like AI, machine learning, cloud, DevOps, and all that. So it's uh, sort of a one-stop shop for all kinds of uh, knowledge and consulting and mentorship for tech startups. Oh, wonderful. So what's a, what's a typical company that uh, like that comes to you? What are their characteristics when they come knocking on your door? Well, if, if you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting off, you have an idea, you want to launch a company, uh, you are at an inception stage, then uh, we can help you to figure out how you want to bootstrap your company. So bootstrapping uh, does not essentially mean it's all for free, but it's definitely not going to require you to raise millions of dollars. You can launch your company with, uh, with you know, uh, typical amounts that, uh, you know, we, an individual can, can safely... Um, can safely fund that project until it gets more traction. And then on the other end of the spectrum is, you know, startups who have already got some traction. They may have raised funding, Series A, Series B, and they may want to launch new projects or they may facing some. They may be facing some uh, technology challenges. Maybe their system is not performing well. They need security audit. They, you know, they want to understand what are what are the key uh, pieces of IP they want to patent and things like that. So anything that a that a typical CTO will do, we can provide that service if uh, you don't have access to a full-time CTO or um, or they are busy with the other projects. So that's what we do. And in terms of uh, uh, training, as I said, you know, anybody who wants to train their engineers or even if you want to rise in your career and acquire some skills, they, you can contact us. So we conduct trainings uh, which are mostly uh, video-based uh, training where you can you know, have your own schedule. You can watch the videos and learn some skills. Uh, or if you want a face-to-face -face, uh, training uh, in, in classroom or virtual classroom, we can arrange that as well. So for individuals as well as group uh, professionals. So if I'm an I'm a entrepreneur and I have an idea for a business, um, and is one of the things you'll help me is sort of figure out, and let's say I'm just starting out, so one of the yeah. things you'll help me is kind of figure out what my minimum viable product will be and sort of how exactly. can I get it to the marketplace? Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. So a lot of people don't even, uh, you know, uh, uh, they have a good idea, but they don't know how to, uh, you know, execute it well through the MVP stage. And sometimes they don't 
get the concept of what is the point of the MVP, how it should be built, what is the purpose uh, it will serve uh, beyond the MVP stage, and how do you move from MVP to the next iteration of the product. Yeah, so, so that's t- what we have. Yeah. yeah, so take me take me through sort of uh, what that process would be like. So I, I call you up and I say, yeah. hey, I, I have an idea for this new little gizmo. And yeah. uh, here's what it does. Uh, here's what I think it should do. Uh, so take yeah. me through how that process works. So the very first thing is, you know, uh, if it's a raw idea, then we need to sort of, uh, you know, make it so that it's more mature. It's something that we can uh, explain to users with one or two sentences. So we come up with a unique selling proposition for it. We try to figure out who will be the target customer. We come up with a customer avatar for that product or service. And then um, we go through a process of validating that idea because, Uh, Some of the typical mistakes that founders they make, they fell in love with their idea. And then, uh, you know, they don't do their due diligence to validate it and and make sure the market is asking for exactly that idea. So so that validation step is very important. And after the validation, you actually need to prototype it. So rather than jumping straight into building the product or service, you uh, need to prototype it and then get more feedback based on the prototype. So the idea is that you spend very little amount upfront. You make sure that you validate your idea, you get the feedback that you need. And once you're confident enough that, you know, this is something that people want and they will actually pay for it, then you go and start to build it. And, uh, you know, you go through MVP stage. Um, Even after MVP, you get some feedback and then you release version one and then you keep iterating over that. Yes. And do you guys also help sort of uh, help me with sourcing of my uh, product and where I can get it made and components and things like that? Yeah. So if it's a hardware based product, then, um, you know, if it's a tech product, then certainly we can help. We have some uh, connections with uh, people in uh, Asia. But if it's a software product, then definitely, you know, we can help uh, because uh, my background is software and I've been in the field for about 20 years. So, you know, we have uh, teams across the world. We can uh, help you hire a team onshore as well as, you know, if you want to take advantage of offshoring um, or outsourcing your project, we can help with that too. A lot of people get burned out because, you know, they don't know how to execute outsource projects very well. And um, I've been doing it for like 15 years with amazing results. So we get like a lot of cost savings, but uh, we get quality product uh, when we outsource the projects as well. Yeah, excellent. And uh, so you're located in Vancouver, Canada. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so where do most of your customers come from or your clients? Uh, well, mostly North America and Europe. Uh, so a lot of local um, local customers as well because, you know, I'm connected with the community here. But uh, there are some other projects that I'm working on across North America. And sort of what's the what's the typical length of an engagement that you do with? Uh, again, I'm kind of focused on the startups. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really depends, right? Like uh, if, if it's an early stage startup and all they want is, uh, you know, validate their idea and get them sort of uh, get them going and they want to take over on their own um, after that uh, in terms of execution, that engagement may be typically three to six months. But if they want a longer term engagement where they say, OK, you know, we want to validate the idea, we want to build the MVP, then we want to continue development. You know, that's an ongoing thing. So it really depends on the, on the situation. Um, and what the founders they want to do, like they want to run the project themselves or they want continuous engagement. Okay. So when I looked at the Tetra Noodle uh, 
uh, website, yeah. uh, it looked like, you know, you really could focus on chief technology officer type of role. Yeah. And, so, so the idea was that, you know, a, a lot of what I do, uh, the advice I provide and with execution and, and sort of higher level um, strategy is what a typical CTO will do in, uh, in any tech startup. Uh, and what I have found is a lot of times founders uh, and startups, they don't have the right resources or maybe the experience or know-how to hire the right uh, type of uh, senior leadership. And so they end up, you know, hiring junior people or inexperienced people and they, you know, they get, uh, you know, good success earlier on because now they can at least get the business going. But eventually it starts to catch up with them because of lack of inex- uh, a lack of experience sometimes you know, they can make big mistakes. So uh, with this uh, service, um, you know, I can provide uh, help and guidance so that they get on the right track right from the get-go and still be able to afford it on a fractional basis. So that that's the idea. Okay. So if, if some of our listeners uh, wanted to contact you, how would they find you? Yeah, find me on uh, my website, tetranoodle.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, just search for my name, Manu Jagarwal, and it uh, should be easy enough to find. Okay. Well, I will make sure to put both of those uh, into the show notes for folks so uh, they Thanks. can find the links there. So let's, uh, let's go back a little bit. Can you speak a little bit about sort of your childhood, where you grew up, uh, you know, how you got your sort of entrepreneurial juice? Sure, sure. Um, so I uh, grew up in a small town in India, in North India, and I started working at the age of 15, um, the entrepreneurial thing is, uh, you know, more it runs in my family. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and businessmen. Uh, but, you know, my family is quite strict uh, and they have their own way of raising kids. So uh, basically, you know, when I started working at uh, age 15, I was working in a factory trying to sort of work my way up and learning all the all the uh, skills of life from the from the ground up. And I had to make my own money to you know, acquire my education and everything. So it was, it was a, you know, a self-starter kind of a lifestyle from the get-go. And, uh, uh, you know, after getting my education um, and uh, working in a factory for about, I think, three or four years, uh, I moved to Canada in 97 or 98. And then I started working in a software company as a junior programmer, then worked my way up. Uh, I worked with uh, many startups, maybe like more than uh, 30, 40 startups. Uh, maybe, you know, in an indirect way or a direct way, I'm, I've been helping entrepreneurs and and um, and uh, startup founders uh, to get their technologies um, off the ground. And I've also worked with uh, many Fortune 500 companies, Microsoft, Pearson Education, and some government organizations on some very large projects. And so or through these, uh, these experiences, I found some common patterns in terms of technology projects what makes them uh, what make them uh, successful or un- unsuccessful and that's what i uh, teach and mentor other uh, startup founders to to do you know so that they can avoid the mistakes that other people have made or even i have made in the past yeah sure and uh those engagements you had with those companies that you mentioned uh, were you an employee of the company or were you doing that as a consultant uh, it's mostly consulting work. I, you know, as I said, uh, I work uh, with multiple companies at the same time, and I provide um, uh, custom sort of solutions based on the requirement of the client. No, I, I was, I, I guess my question, I didn't, sorry, I didn't ask my question well. Uh, historically, back when when you first came to Canada, was your role yeah. as a consultant or were you an employee? 
So let me give you a story around that. So you know, I joined a company as I said uh, as a as a junior programmer. Uh, that was right after I came to Canada. Um, so I was lucky enough to get a job, but uh, in three months they I ended up getting fired for uh, you know reasons that I can go into later. Uh, but basically, you know, what happened was I realized that uh, even uh, in in uh, in developed countries, you actually have to make sure that you take control of your career and you are on uh, you know you are not at the mercy of of uh, your manager or or, or boss uh, who can uh, lay you off or even the economy can go bad so i basically turned from a uh, permanent employee to consulting work um, in the very beginning of my career so that you know i can work with multiple clients and and sort of work as a consultant as an independent consultant so if i need to make a shift in my in my strategy, or I need to work with a different type of uh, uh, tech stack, I can I can freely do that. So to answer your question, yeah, most of the projects that I did were as an independent consultant. Ah, very good. So uh, I think there's a you know a fair number of uh, folks who listen to this podcast who who think about consulting, and mm-hmm. and like the sort of notion of having their own business, mm-hmm. and uh, you know being able to be flexible and getting exposed to a lot of different. Uh, types of problems to solve yeah, and work yeah, on. Exactly. Uh, what if someone was thinking about, uh, you know, going into the consulting, the tech consulting business, what sort mm-hmm. of advice would you give them? Um, I always tell them two things. One is uh, do what you love. So try to find out exactly what you enjoy doing and make sure that you take up work uh, within that field because, uh, you know, consulting is not a very predictable, uh, predictable profession because some months you may go, uh, you know, especially when you're starting off, uh, you may go without any work. So if you don't enjoy your work, you know, it becomes even harder to get through that period uh, as you're growing. Secondly, um, look at niche uh, skills. Don't go for, uh, don't go for skills that you know, pretty much everybody has. Like you know, uh, I don't mean to, uh, you know. I don't mean to like uh, put down anybody or uh, say anything negative, but there there are skills like you know basic scripting or PHP programming. I mean these are great skills, but you will find a lot of competition in these fields. So try to look for fields like you know maybe look at uh, machine learning, look look at blockchain. So these are popular technologies which everybody wants to implement in their stack, but there are not many people around who understand these technologies. So always uh, try to look for niche skills and even. When we are through this uh, period, when blockchain may become mainstream in a few years, and AI and and uh, and uh, uh, machine learning may actually be so advanced that they can actually write their own programs, there will be other niche skills that will come up. So make sure that you are up to date on where the industry is going, and force yourself to you know acquire those skills, get familiar with them, and if you like any of those skills, then focus on getting work in those fields. I think that's the key to success. Great, great advice. So a lot of the uh, f- uh, consulting folks that I run into o- over my career, you know, many of them are very sharp technically. They, they really understand their technology. Mm-hmm. And, and they always, there's, there's always struggling to find customers. Yeah. So yeah. obviously you've been successful at that. So what sort of words of advice would you give to someone on, on how to find customers? You know, how to identify them, how to vet them? And and then how to how to kind of win that engagement and maintain that engagement? Yeah. So um, as I said, you know, initially it's going to be a lot of hard work to talk to you know talk to a lot of people. Um, social media is uh, you know really relevant here. 
when when I started, there was no social media, so it was just basically word of mouth and talking to a lot of people face to face. And that you know that never gets old. So if you have the opportunity, go out there and talk to people, uh, go to networking events and uh, present your profile. But on the, in the online world, you know, use LinkedIn because if you're trying to be a consultant, most likely it'll be. Uh, you know, you're trying to go go into B2B space because consultants mostly work with other businesses. So use LinkedIn heavily as much as you can. Try to understand how LinkedIn works. Raise your profile. Make sure it's optimized. It's speaking to your target audience and engage with people. And uh, you know, slowly get their names, uh, get get your names out there. And uh, you know, after you close your first couple of deals, make sure you provide tremendous amount of value, even if you don't make a lot of money, but uh, you need to make sure that you get good referrals from your uh, clients, uh, especially you know the ones that uh, put faith in you when you when you're just starting off. So those referrals can be used as uh, marketing collateral for your next set of clients and so on. Yeah, very good, very very wonderful advice. So uh, as you as you think about your business, uh, how do you think it uh, will evolve over the next uh, you know five years or so? Um, see, that's uh, uh, that's an interesting question. I think we are at a stage right now where a lot of uh, very important and seminal technologies are coming together. So, you know, as I said earlier, machine learning and blockchain and cloud computing, all these things are coming together in the same time period, right? Uh, generally, it happens that, you know, we have one major uh, sort of technology that takes off, like internet came along or PC came along. There was not like you know a period in our lifetime where all these key technologies were coming together. So this is a very uh, interesting time, and I think all these things uh, will actually change radically how we live, work, and play. Um, so next five years are going to be interesting. I don't know um, how it will unfold, but the emphasis will be on these technologies and anything else sort of that matches the caliber of these technologies. So we'll see a lot of uh, you know use cases being encapsulated by blockchain, a lot of AI coming into everyday objects, everyday gadgets, um, a lot of the computing infrastructure moving into cloud and you know the, the way that we used to work with servers and laptops and desktops, that may start to you know uh, wind down. So uh, our emphasis will be to make sure that we follow this technology trend and keep serving the customers in these fields. So you know we are already working on blockchain projects and machine learning projects. So that'll continue to to happen, and uh, we'll continue to implement it in uh, in more interesting ways. So running your own business, uh, and 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 you're in a you're in a business that has a lot of peaks and valleys from the point of view mm-hmm. of sort of. You get a couple of big contracts, you have a ton of work to do, and then maybe there's a period of time where you have less work to do. How yeah, do you yeah. think about uh, bringing in staff and sort of hiring people? How do you, how does that process work for you in your business? Yeah, so uh, my philosophy here is that, you know, you need to really understand your business and look at what are your core um, capabilities or core selling propositions, uh, core features, um, you know, any anything that is core to your business, make sure that you have a permanent team um, building that stuff, maintaining that stuff, and servicing that stuff, supporting it. So try not to outsource the core stuff, but anything else you can, you know, always build an uh, extensible team, which uh, comprises of outsource companies, freelancers, uh, and, you know, people who are, you can find online, like f- for short-term, short-term gigs. 
So it's perfectly okay to set up a team, a core team of permanent employees, and then supplement it with a flexible team, which you can hire or rehire as the work evolves. Um, and once you know you become, you come to a point where some things that you were outsourcing earlier, they actually may become part of your core infrastructure. So at that time, you can shift it from outsource team to an internal employee. In terms of how I hire employees, you know, it's it's basically, um, I guess it's 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 an art that you pick up. You know, you need to make sure that you ask the right questions. You give the candidates the right information, the right expectations, um, in terms of you know what they will be uh, doing and what is their success criteria. How will they be evaluated? And make sure that you know you support them to get to that success criteria. Make sure um, you help them grow as well. So nobody wants to you know. Uh, Nobody wants to do the exact same job for the entire uh, rest of their lives, right? So they want to grow themselves as well. So um, I always try to incorporate some growth aspects um, into the job that that they are doing. Maybe you know they can pick up new skills or talk to people who uh, can mentor them and things like that. So that way they feel that they are working and earning money, but uh, apart from the monetary benefits, they are also getting something intangible, which is in some cases much more valuable, which is their professional and personal growth. Yeah, yeah, very good. And in small companies, it's oftentimes a challenge to provide that sort of professional growth. You know, if you, in my history, I've worked for General Electric and IBM, and and they had these great charts that sort of talked about your career advancement uh, because there were all these different levels of jobs and different types of jobs. And in a small company, that's that's sometimes a challenge. Um, You had mentioned freelancers. Uh, yeah. Are there particular places where you go and seek freelancers? Yeah, um, the best site I will recommend is Upwork.com. Uh, you know, uh, the quality of the people you'll find there and the variety of people you'll find there is unmasked. But they are going through some uh, transition. Like you know, uh, or it used to be free to post your project, but now I think they're going to charge like fifty bucks a month or so. So they're going through some transition. Check it out. Uh, the other one I use is Fiverr, but Fiverr is more for short-term projects. Like say, you know, you want to build a logo or or design a logo or you know, like a quick tweak to your website or something like that. Um, I find the quality of uh, people on Upwork is better, um, but there are a bunch of them. So you know, check out Upwork, Fiverr.com, Guru.com, Freelancer.com. Uh, e- um, yeah, I mean, those are the main ones. And and so. Uh, speak a little bit about how you vet a potential freelancer. How do you sort of get through that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, what you will find is freelancing, if you if you want to hire freelancers, uh, either uh, look for somebody in your vis- like geographical vicinity so that you can meet uh, them face to face. That that is almost like, you know, you're you're hiring a temporary employee or a con- con- contractor. So if you meet face to face, you can, you know, uh, really judge very quickly whether they'll be able to deliver or not. But if you're hiring uh, offshore, then, you know, obviously the good advantage is uh, you can get very attractive prices. And because of these pricing, what I do is I try to um, use that uh, as part of my hiring process. So instead of hiring one person for the same job, I hire uh, three people and give them a very small task out of the main project. And then I ask them to complete that task. And based on the the performance and the communication and and uh, you know the, their um, their expertise on that task, then I can get a very good understanding of you know out of these three people who will be the right person to uh, complete that job. So 
you know, that is sort of the process I used uh, earlier on when I started working with freelancers. But now it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, after gaining some experience, you can see, you know, whether this person will be a good fit. Uh, but if, if, if it does uh, turn out that, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a good fit, then try to make a swift action and uh, let them know right away that you don't want to continue with them anymore. And the advantage with freelancing, uh, hiring freelancers is like, you know, you don't have to worry about um, uh, severance pay and things like that. So it's it's very quick. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to sound inhumane or, or uh, you know, very uh, uh, ruthless in terms of, you know, how do you hire and fire. But uh, if, if someone is not working out and they're not delivering, the right thing, then uh, in the interest of your own business and in the interest of the freelancer as well, it's best to make sure that you have a you know honest conversation and they may be suitable for some other project that's going on in, in your organization, but make sure that you take swift action and not continue going down the wrong path. Right, All right. That's good advice, uh, whether they're freelancers or permanent employees. If, if it's not working out, address the situation if you can't can and if it's still not working out then act because it, it's, exactly. it's it's respectful for both parties if you do it that yeah. way yeah, yeah, yeah very good uh when you think about uh, a consulting business like you have uh do you uh, bill by the hour or is it by the project or is it uh, some blend of those it's a blend right so as i said like a longer term um longer term engagements may have uh, component of retainer, some equity partnership, or you know, some some component of hourly. Um, let's say if I'm building a if I'm building a team for the startup, uh, they may actually hire the team directly and pay them directly, and they can just pay me for my services. So it's it's all uh, you know, it's all a custom sort of a deal that we reach. Uh, but if it's like a very short term engagement, a few hours here and there, we could do hourly as well. Yeah, uh, very nice. Uh- do you think there's uh, an optimum size for a business like yours? I mean, you know, you see some consulting businesses that have thousands of people, employees, mm-hmm. and others are a, a sole individual. Uh, yeah. And uh, so how do you think about that as, a, as an entrepreneur and as, a, as an owner of a consulting business? I think, um, I think any business can be scaled um, as long as you know how to scale it. So, you know, in a small boutique uh, consulting company, the personal touch and, you know, working directly with the founders, uh, that's the advantage. But that uh, can scale as long as you can find the right type of people who understand, you know, how to provide this kind of service. The moment you start, you know, and, and I don't know what that level is for my type of organization. You know, hopefully as I grow, uh, right now we are a small team of four or five people, but as we grow beyond that, We'll soon find out whether things are working out or not. Uh, but as soon as you see that, you know, you're losing that spirit of how, you know, the reason why you started the company, you either need to come up with new processes, maybe hire new people, maybe build a new hierarchy of managers and whatnot. And that's how typically each organization, every organization grows, right? But uh, there may be a point where you, you can you can somehow sense that, you know, you've reached sort of the limit of your, um, of, of, of the reason that, you know, Unless you give up that reason, unless you give up that brand value, that that uh, reason why you started the company, um, then then you need to stop growing or think about an exit or or whatever. So um, hopefully I will know when I reach that stage, but uh, I don't know. I think I I believe any business can be scaled as long as you know what you're doing. You know, uh, there's a a handful of consultants that I've I've interacted with in the past, and and I would say that some significant percentage of them. Uh, is always trying to figure out how to come out with a standard product. 
So yeah. they're, they're trying to sort of take elements from all the different consulting jobs they've done and put them together in some sort of standard product that they can offer or sell. Uh, is yeah. that something that you think about? Uh, that's a very good idea. I, I always think about that for sure. You know, you ask me, how do you charge? So I would have loved to say, hey, you know, we have three packages and package A costs this much, package two costs this much. It's easier for people to understand and digest. But uh, in consulting also uh, by the nature uh, is sort of a, like a customized uh, service that you provide, right? So with this type of service, it's sometimes difficult to productize it. But I will say it's a very good idea. For example, you know we have productized our training uh, courses, right? So there's a there's a, there are uh, special skills we teach, and each skill will cost you this much. And if you want to go for, to a higher level of learning, then it'll cost you this much. So some services or products can be you know can be uh, molded into a product with fixed price, and that's a good thing. So if you are able to do it, please do it. But if you're not able to do it, maybe try to extract some. Um, some knowledge out of it and build it a new product. So, for example, I'm working on some information uh, products, like you know, I'm building a course, online course on uh, bootstrapping. So, at least that part of your consulting work can be productized and sold uh, as a, as a cookie cutter product. But if it's very customized, uh, very personal, um, then I think it, it needs to be a custom sort of a custom deal that you reach with uh, with your client. Yeah, yeah, very nice. So uh, one of the things that uh, when you're in a consulting business, uh, you're always out looking for potential clients. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're always sort of selling. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how, do you, how do you sort of vet your potential clients? You know, how do you sort of sort through, okay, this client's very much interested in engaging and I have a high probability of closing this versus, nah, this person's just fishing. They're just kicking the tires uh, because that's yeah, always yeah. a challenge in, in a business like this, right? Of sorting sure. through that and having the right instinct to say, nope, I'm going to let these go because sure. it'll take me forever to close that deal and I have sure. to go after these. So what what are some of the key things that you look for in, in sorting through that? Well, the very first thing is you have to know your own value because if you don't know your own value and you know what you provide to your own customers, you will not be able to assess whether this is the right customer for you. Because the next step in this process is when you talk to your customer, uh, obviously you need to understand what they need and then you need to assess whether you can deliver. Um, and now, um, you know, once you're at a proposal stage, you can tell the, your client, hey, you know, I'm going to be able to deliver you this and this is why you should be working with me. This is how much money or time I can save you. But at, at this juncture, if the client does not recognize your value, if they're shopping around, if you know they say you know they start haggling on the price and things like that, um, now that is where you can assess, hey, you know whether this client is good for me or not. Um, definitely, uh, this may be you. You may have to you know work around this a little bit more when you're beginning uh, in your career. You you don't want to say no to everyone, but at the same time, you want to maintain some standards. But as you gain experience, as you have a longer list of clients, you want to make sure that you have higher standards for your clients as well and uh, not take on anybody or everybody because what ends up happening is if you get a few bad clients, they may actually end up sucking the life out of your business and it may affect your good clients as well. So, uh, you know, just like employees or freelancers, make sure even if you start work with a client which may not be a right fit, recognize that earlier on and then, you know, part ways 
so that you can serve uh, your other clients, your good clients with good energy and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the, the right level of service that you can provide. Yeah, excellent, excellent advice. Uh, as you have clients all across uh, North America and, and in Europe and other parts of the world, uh, how does sort of culture of those various different parts of the world impact the type of relationship and their view of consultants? Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting question. Thanks a lot for asking. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, my, one of my passions is travel. And, uh, you know, I travel as much as I can. Um, and that's uh, the underlying sort of motive is to understand people, like understand different cultures, understand different cuisines and, you know, their history and where they come from. So that helps when you, you know, when you're talking to people from other parts of the world. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, I grew up in a different part of the world. And now I'm living in a different part of the world. And uh, Canada is, uh, you know, very multicultural. We welcome immigrants. So even within my own city, I get to, you know, you know, interact with uh, people from different backgrounds. So the more you can learn uh, about, you know, humanity in general, the better it is because you can communicate with them better. You can understand where they're coming from. That is not to say it is not a challenge. It is, of course, a challenge. So uh, try to rise up to that challenge, uh, as I can say, uh, put it. Uh, and if you if you do end up making mistakes, you know, take it as a lesson that, hey, you know, I tried to call somebody at this hour, maybe time zone difference, uh, you know, uh, led, led me to call them too early in the morning or something like, you know, all these things happen when you're working with the um, international client. So take it as a lesson and then incorporate it into your uh, into your process so that you don't repeat that mistake. So this is how you, you know, you learn, you improve as as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Was there a point in sort of your life or your career where where the light went off and you said to yourself, aha, this is what I want to do. This is this is my passion. This is what I want to do. Uh, Can can you talk about that at all? Sure, sure. I mean, um, this is back when, you know, when I started working with computers, because as I said, um, I was working in a factory which was, you know, a lot of manual stuff, uh, not no automation and whatnot. Um, so it was very like, how can I say like old technology being used and it's still being used in most, uh, developing countries. But then when I came in touch with computers, I was like, you know, really, really blown away by the power they, they provided, uh, in mind you, like this was, uh, back in 96, uh, the most powerful computer at that time was like, f- uh, 586, i586, like with four MB of RAM, four megabytes of RAM in the computer. Uh, but still, they were able to, you know, um, uh, analyze a lot of data and then automate a lot of things. So, you know, coming from a manual uh, old technology to this, uh, I fell in love with computers. And I was like, OK, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So, you know, and then and then uh, building businesses out of uh, out of, uh, you know, just uh, programming, coding uh, and make a, a business out of it, a ba- make a product out of it that that serves uh, somebody um, you know, solve somebody's problem and people pay for it. That's fascinating to me. So I'm, uh, uh, that's what I like to do. That's what I love to do. And that's what I'm helping other people do as well. Yes. So is there, is there a, a fire or a spark in, inside of you that drives you a certain way? And, and can you describe that, that sort of spark or fire or motivation, you know, sort of what motivates you? Yeah, motivation, uh, again, you know, um, in my business, it's more like uh, I have done uh, some amazing projects. I've seen uh, 
a lot in terms of what technology can do uh, in helping people live better, work better, um, and grow better. So uh, we are facing so many problems in this world today, and I think uh, with technology, we can solve pretty much any problem that we are facing. So my uh, my sort of desire or the fire as you uh, passion is to apply technology and solve uh, you know these big problems and uh, you know make a world that is better than what it is today yeah oh very nice very nice so we've been going a little over 35 minutes here so i, I want to start wrapping this up uh, is there anything that uh, i should have asked you that i haven't or that you'd like to add to this Sure. I mean, um, one thing I would like to say is, uh, you know, find your passion, know yourself first, uh, focus on this self-discovery. If you if you're uh, running into any problems, uh, you know, rather than focusing on external factors, just make sure that you reach inside and see, you know, uh, what you're doing is in line with exactly what your passion is. And then once you discover that, uh, then you start to work on your external factors. And uh, also, as you go through these problems, don't give up. Just continue to do what you're doing. And if you are working on your true passion that, you know, those failures are not going to come across as negative occurrences, that that's just learning opportunity. So find your passion, keep doing what you're doing and, and keep working hard and you'll reach your goals uh, in no time. Yes. Great advice. Find your passion, keep doing what you're doing and you'll reach your goals. Uh, great way to wrap it up. Thank you very much for being a guest on the podcast. I really enjoyed our discussion today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Bela, that was fascinating. Uh, Manush had a lot of interesting points. What struck you as particularly interesting? So I think this notion of, uh, and we've talked about this before, uh, minimum viable product uh, and testing the marketplace frequently and early in the, in the cycle. You know, it's a lesson I learned in, in the first business that uh, I was co-founder of, where the first time we talked to a customer or a potential customer was at a trade show where we were exhibiting our product. And it was way too late. The product had been designed. Uh, it was done. We had a bunch of them sitting in a warehouse. And we only got the product about 80% right. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't uh, uh, close enough. So this notion of a minimum viable product uh, getting your product idea or your concept out there in some form as soon as possible and testing the marketplace with it. Getting feedback from customers uh, early on and often is really, really important. And it's a theme that we've heard about before. Uh, and I think it's a theme that uh, we'll continue to talk about and see examples of as we interview successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it was a really neat perspective that he brought to the table. I loved when he started getting into the finer points of contingent uh, work or freelance work, right? That he kind of had this uh, approach to using things like Upwork or Fiverr. And, you know, remember we, we talked about co-working spaces, right? And and this is the kind of the flip side of it, right? Is uh, how do you really effectively use these to help build your business when you're first starting up? And you know, this really has been, he made this point, and I really think it's worth uh, underscoring, is that this has been a major technological shift in entrepreneurship. The ability to have a global workforce at your fingertips, right, and put out multiple bids, right? Um, you know, and he, he made the point that face-to-face -face is really important for establishing trust and rapport and making sure that things are clear, nonverbals, the whole things. But 
you know, his approach, his triple sourcing approach, where he'd kind of hire three people maybe and each give them a small task and see how they respond and then pick one or two or all three to do more uh, with the project, I thought was a really cool strategy uh, for this kind of new era of, of outsourcing and building an entrepreneurial business. Um, I, I just thought it was great. Yeah, here again, it's sort of the, the global economy, the world getting flatter, and, they, and technology enables us to do this. And here, here's an example of, of a person and a business who has really figured out how to leverage that for his own business. You know, one of the challenges in a consulting business is is you you never have the perfect amount of work. You either have too much and, and you have more uh, work than you can handle or you don't have enough, uh, which makes staffing a real challenge. Uh, and you can talk to anyone who's, who's sort of in the consulting-like business and they will tell you, uh, that that they're either always swamped with work or or they're always out looking because they don't have enough. So it's really difficult to balance out the workload. And he has used this uh, various different ways of outsourcing uh, these skill sets um, and getting outsourced skill sets as a way of balancing out that business. So I, th- I think it's a great viable model. And he, as you said, he has a excellent way of sort of managing that process and making the selection of those individuals. Agreed. Uh, The other thing that was kind of neat was that he gave advice on growing a consulting business, right? And how he himself um, would tell other consultants to grow their business. And I loved his approach to kind of client management, right? And there really is this kind of 80-20 rule, right? Where I think 20% of your clients take up 80% of your time and energy, and it's not profitable, right? So he talked about this idea of kind of, letting your clients go, right? And not accepting every job that comes your way. And I've seen so many of my friends and colleagues who do consulting that literally grab any client that they can take because they're scared of losing clients and they're scared of these downturns that you were just referring to that they hold on to clients that maybe they should they should let go and just say, no, I'm sorry, I'm too, I can't take that job, right? And then after a couple of no's, they, they go or have a more direct conversation either way. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Thoughts? Yeah, okay. Agreed. I, I think that, you know, lots of times when people start in, in these types of businesses, uh, they'll latch on to almost any customer or potential customer that comes along. And um, if you're in sales uh, and any good salesperson will tell you, one of the things they do early on is they they figure out whether this is a person who's going to buy or is it a person who's just kicking the tires, so to speak, and just looking. And because they need to spend their time with people who are going to buy. And this is, in the consulting business, the same thing can happen. You can get stretched out long, long periods of time before someone makes the buy decision. Um, so that was good advice he gave there for sure. Yeah. Uh, nice little tidbits about using LinkedIn effectively. I think we could do a whole session on that, right? He had some really good ideas, I thought, on on how people can uh, maximize the use of that. I think entrepreneurs, LinkedIn is pretty critical uh, for making these connections, especially when we're talking about staffing or business development, right, is, is, uh, is, a, is a go-to tool today, uh, think, thinking of this from a technological shift standpoint. Yep, absolutely. And remember, it's not the number of connections you have in LinkedIn. It's the, the quality of those connections that's important. Yep. But at the end of the day, you go back to it, and he really is a, a cultural student, right? And his advice at the end about learning, about humanity, and rising to the challenge of being a global citizen, and kind of being a learning human being, um, 
this is technology free, right? This is mindset and attitude and approach. Um, so I thought that overall kind of this idea of using new technologies and um, leveraging this kind of global workforce and managing a business in the technological age, that's all great, but you have to have the kind of thinking, feeling, um, understanding of being a human being to also make it work. It, it takes the whole the whole package. And, you know, when when you exhibit those qualities, um, oftentimes uh, people like you, and when people like you, uh, they'll hire you as a consultant. So, so some of this stuff reinforces itself, if you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying. I didn't articulate that really well. But, but this notion of people want to work with other people who they like, who they connect with. And he certainly, you know, I was ready to hire him at the end of the thing. I don't have anything mm-hmm. for him to do, but I was ready yeah. to hire him, right? I said, this is a good person, right? Yep. And so he's a good person first. And, and, and then that kind of builds that trust and that rapport where you say, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to engage with this person um, in, in some form of a relationship. And, and, and I think that's a, a good lesson there. Yeah. The world is small. Don't be a jerk. Right. Definitely. <laughs> right. All right. My last question for you, Bela, is, you know, I've just seen, we've seen this common thread. If you look back at, I don't know how many guests we've had so far, 38 or something like this, right? Um, that there's this common theme that entrepreneurs are willing to help others interested in entrepreneurship to avoid making the same mistakes that they made, right? There's this almost tangible bond and it's all over the world. I've seen it um, on, on everywhere that I've traveled and I can't totally explain it, but I hear it and I see it regularly that entrepreneurs are willing to help others. Do you see this? Absolutely, Mike. And, uh, you know, there's probably, uh, some academician, some academic, uh, has done some research on this, but I'm, I'm not familiar any, uh, with any of it, but I'll, I'll give you my, my sort of thoughts on this. I, I think it's a function of 30 years ago, there were no degrees in entrepreneurship. There were no courses in entrepreneurship. There were no courses in how to start a business. There was no Kickstarter. There were, there were incubators did not exist. So if you wanted to start a business, uh, you either had to figure it out on your own or you had to reach out. And I think those people who started those businesses, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, kind of struggled through that. And, and as a result of that, out of this need, uh, I think this community built up. People, people started to sort of, okay, help other folks. And they didn't really view them as competitors. You know, and, it, and it, I can remember when I worked at GE and I worked at IBM, you know, everything was company confidential. It was top secret. And, you know, you couldn't talk to anybody. And, and that was the culture there. Uh, and, and I think in, I think in the entrepreneurial space, uh, it's a little bit different. And I think part of it is because there is no formal way, or there has not been a formal way of getting educated. And I see this, I I see this in my, in, you know, I'm a sailor to some extent, or I try to be a sailor and I see it in the sailing community. Uh, You can be walking uh, down the dock at a marina and you see somebody else on a sailboat, and all of a sudden, total strangers usually start engaging in a conversation. They'll so they'll show you their boat, you show them your boat. They'll show you how they do things, you know how they, you know the last storm they went through, what they did, uh, etc. So there's community built up. And here again, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 
there was no formal way of, of getting educated. There, there were no sailing classes. Uh, so, so I think the community builds up because this need exists and members uh, who have the expertise are willing to share uh, because it's not really a threat to them. And, and I think it's, it's kind of nice to belong to a community like that. I hope you and I know someday, you know, paying it forward type of thing. Uh, when I need help, someone will help me. So I think the same thing exists in entrepreneurship. Now, the question is, given that now that you can get a degree in entrepreneurship uh, from a lot of different places and all sorts of sailing schools have cropped up, et cetera, will this community continue or will the community sort of lose some strength? Um, I don't know. Hopefully the community will continue. And quite frankly, I, th- I hope other communities uh, will crop up in other areas as well. So that's, that's what I think, Mike. What do you think? Cool, cool answer. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, there's something to it. And I think there's something about when you, when you struggle with something and you overcome it, um, that a lot of times that makes you willing to lend a hand out to somebody else. And I think there's nothing easy about entrepreneurship, at least in my experiences, nothing. Um, struggles constantly, right? And yeah. things change. Just when you think you have it down, your world changes. Um, that's the pattern that I've seen both in myself and my friends and my family that do this. Um, so yeah, so I think it's a lot like sailing. If you if you put your head down and you don't look around, the wind changes, right? Or something comes up on your side, or something happens. And I think you need it, it takes a community to make it work. Um, so yeah, I don't think that it's ever going to go away. I think technology might change it, um, but I don't think it's going to eliminate it. And, and that's my hope because I think it's what makes it it interesting and and cool. And look at the 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 litany of people that we've interviewed so far, and I wouldn't want to lose that. Right, that ability for somebody to say, "Hey, you want to talk to us for half an hour about kind of what you did and where you've been and what advice you have for people?" And nobody said no yet, Bela. Right? Right. Nobody said no to us. Right. Right. And it's not because we're such sparkling personalities, you know, right. and we're not paying people. Right? They're not even getting free T-shirts. Right? They want to sit and chat for a bit about what they've done and help other people. It's remarkable. Yeah, it is remarkable, and uh, I think uh, not to get too philosophical. Uh, if more people did that, it would be a better place in the world. True. Yeah. True. Absolutely. In every field, right? In every field. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I love in, it. In, 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 in life in general. <laughs> yeah. In life in general. So shall we uh, All right. wrap it up Let's here, wrap Mike? it up before we get any deeper on this. Yeah. Right? Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks to our wonderful guests uh, we and listeners. We uh, are happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week. Uh, We thank Manoj Agarwal for joining us. Uh, What a fascinating story. Uh, And we hope that you, the listeners, found the last hour interesting and thought-provoking as well. Um, As usual, we have a couple of small requests. One is if you have questions about what we've discussed today, if you have suggestions about topics in the future uh, that we should cover, more philosophical uh, under- uh, tones of society that Bela and I can address in uh, thoughtful and meaningful ways, um, or potential guests that would really help us out so you could listen more to them and less to us, uh, get in touch with us. Our email address is uh, bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Uh, and if you at all like what we're doing, if you could hit like or subscribe or whatever the positive reinforcement is in your podcast app, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you really want to stretch it and uh, consider writing a quick review that would be fantastic too 
Um, and of course, if you know other people that might be interested in what we're doing, please share us with them. So thanks for spending time with us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode. Signing off from upstate New York, this is Bela. See you next week, Mike. This podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York. They can be found at busymedia.co. 